Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. One of the great things we get to do sometimes is follow up with a conversation we've had with someone. And that is what we're going to be able to do today. Our guest is Dr. Stan May. He is pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Olive Branch, Mississippi. That's the Memphis area. And he's also currently teaches missions at Blue Mountain College here in Northeast Mississippi. And uh, Dr. May, we enjoyed last week to hear your journey into missions and how God just put it in your heart. And really, this is a commentary on what I heard, broke your heart to take the message of Christ to the world. And I still hear that in you. And also, we talked about a church, how they could revitalize themselves and reignite themselves into missions. And and that was great at Emmanuel's. You saw it grow in missions. But as it grew in that area, it grew in every other area, paying off the church debt quickly, five years early. Yes, sir. Amen. And, and this shows you as a church, you're listening today, and you're saying, man, we're so much in debt. Listen, if you just concentrate on the debt, I doubt very seriously if you'll carry out God's purpose for your life. And if you're looking at building and you're just building to cause, well, we, we might need that. Uh, Dr. May shared with us a little bit last week about that money might could go to a greater purpose of carrying the gospel around the world. And so those are the things we talked about last week. But you ended the program by talking about truths that that churches need to know to become that missional church, to be on mission for God. And uh, you basically only had time to list them. Would you mind expanding those truths for us today? Yes, sir. I am so excited to be with you, Brother Burke. Thank you for this invitation. Uh, What a privilege. uh, What a joy to be with a brother who has such a like passion and heart for missions. My heart's been encouraged by you. Let me just begin by saying that. But as we think about churches, uh, and I've had the opportunity to work with many churches and to see churches, and then as a professor to interact with students who are in churches in many areas, and some things that are true about churches, unfortunately, that ought not to be true— is that churches turn inward. It's it's easy to do. It, we do it in our own lives, but churches turn inward. They begin to think, what's about us? But God's focus for church is always outward. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Well, you remember, you and I, you and I are old enough to have memorized that in the old King James, and it said, seek ye first. That plural means that it's not just an individual thing. It can be a church thing. Churches ought to be seeking first the kingdom. And Emmanuel's testimony, which I won't go back over, is a proof to us that when we began to seek first the kingdom, our budget grew. We got out of debt, as you said, five years early. Our numbers grew. People got excited about evangelism. God called people out of the body. We began to take seriously the kingdom principle. 
And as we became an outward-focused church, God blessed the church. God did that. And people are excited about being there. They're excited about giving. This next Sunday, uh, we will take our missions offering and promote missions. So we we believe in what God is doing and God wants to do around the world. Churches naturally turn inward. Outward focus is both intentional, it's got to be led, and supernatural. It's led by the Holy Spirit from the Word. You have to do that intentional. It's kind of like being in a stream. Naturally, you're going to go downstream. Absolutely. If you need to go upstream, you have to oar hard. You have to pull the anchor up and go forward. Not to be inward for an individual in a church. they got to be purposeful in doing so. Amen. Amen. Our purpose was transformed. We began to embrace a purpose that said our goal was to reach Olive Branch in the ends of the earth and the power of the Holy Spirit, one part of our purpose statement for our church. And we live by that. Our people know that. They live by it. They, It is an intentional and ongoing. And as you said, it starts with leadership. If your church is not is inward focused, begin to pray that God would give your pastor a vision of a greater outward focus, that he would see the lostness of the world. Because Jesus looked around and saw lostness. Jesus' heart was broken. He saw people as sheep without a shepherd broken he did. and hurting. I respond to that because one of my mentors, Dr. Bobby Moore, he was a pastor there in the Memphis area, and uh, he prayed, God, give Bert a vision of the world. He was talking about that mission. He prayed for that Amen. for me, and then I'd spend time with him. And it's not just prayer-wise, but it's caught, too. Amen. I caught that zeal he had for missions for the world, and it, it really changes your focus. Amen. Amen. It does. Amen. And churches have to move. When they move from being inward to outward, God begins to do a work. A second thing churches have to do is they have to they have to guard against being impulsive. And impulsive is it's easy to catch the latest fad in missions, but biblical truths, uh, as a teacher, as I get to teach missions, one of the things that I do is I just walk us through the book of Acts and learn from Paul, learn from Pauline missiology. Now, Acts is history, and we don't try to do all the things Paul does, but the broad contours of his ministry equip us and teach us much about having a biblically-driven, biblically-focused ministry so we can be ambassadors for Christ as he sends us out. Paul caught that vision of being an ambassador. A third, as I mentioned, churches become impatient. We don't wait on God. If God wants us to build, God's got the money to build. But unfortunately, many, many pastors— I'm going to say something that sounds a bit harsh, and I don't mean to, but many pastors have found it easier to build buildings than to build people because it's a lot harder to build people, to grow them in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The work is slower. It's not as visible. It takes a lot more effort. But to build a building, you can just challenge people, and people get excited, and they build something. And long after the joy of the new building is gone, the debt lingers on. Yeah, I I just want to share this as a pastor. Uh, I the buildings that we built, it was kind of put upon me by need. Uh, we were in a building, and it was I was satisfied. I was ready to go to three preaching services before I built because I didn't want to spend that money for that. 
And then the Lord just did some stuff in making that building unsafe, and we had to have a building inspector to come and say, you you can't meet in this (laughs) church any longer. So we had to build. But when when that happens, it gives me the clearance to do what you're talking about, not just building to build to for some edifice to to look good but it 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 is the building of the people and uh so i i amen what you just said brother amen and 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 i don't want to wholesale criticize building buildings we need god uses buildings and god provides the funds for building and churches who build the right way as you said when when god makes it clear it's time to build you don't you, have you option b that's you right but but some people build because it's easier than leading people. As I said last time, one church growth statistic that hits home is that 90% of churches that build their dream auditorium never grow beyond the number they were when they decided to build. And they didn't need it, but it sure seemed like the thing to do at the time. Fourth, again, churches are ignorant of Scripture. And I, I know this sounds harsh to say, but LifeWay studies demonstrate that only about 12% of uh, Protestant churchgoers read through their Bible annually, 12%. Most people say, over half say they read it rarely or never. And think about this. These are people who claim to be followers of Christ. And if we don't know God's Word, then we're not going to be on God's mission because God's mission is revealed in His Word. It's not in feelings, but it's in as we uh, as we open His Word and His Word speaks to us, the heart of God pulsates through Scripture, and the heart of God pulsates for a lost world. The Word of God does not return void, does it? Amen, it does In not. my life, being read or proclaimed. Amen. Uh, sometimes we only think that's us preaching, but no, it's the written Word as well. It goes forth, and it does accomplish things in our life. Read the Word. Amen. Amen, Brother Bird. I, I could amen that one all day long. And I don't say this to condemn, but we began to challenge our people when I went to Emmanuel. We went, began to, another thing we did was to challenge them to read through the Bible annually. I had a lady in, in her 60s come to me and thank me and say no pastor had ever challenged her to read through the Bible in a year. And I began, I promised them that I would give a free book to everybody that read through the Bible in a year. And so I purchased books out of my pocket because I believe this is an investment that's worth it. And I gave away to the congregation, almost half the congregation committed and read through the Bible. And our youth read through the Bible, our adults read through the Bible. And then my wife and uh, we were teaching a course at a seminary, at the seminary where I was teaching at the time, we were teaching a course called Chronological Bible Storying. Some of you may be familiar with New Tribes Missions, right. and they developed this program. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch it unfold, and a, a great video that shows that is e And if you've never seen that— <laughs> If you've never seen that, get, uh, let me tell you, uh, you need to have space to shout. And, uh, don't listen to it in tight quarters. You'll hurt yourself. <laughs> that's right. it's, it's that exciting, isn't it? And have a box of handkerchiefs, <laughs> yeah, Phoenix, because right. you're going right. to cry, too. You, you it, will. It will. If you love the Lord at all, to watch a people <laughs> group come to faith in Christ and to see a village come to Jesus— but they understood the chronological story. Well, my wife, uh, this this method was designed to reach people who were non-literates, not never been never read at all, had no language re- reduced to writing. And my wife took this course and then asked the, one of the doctors that was teaching, one of the professors from the IMB, and said, 
What about secondary oral learners? Now, these are people who can read but really get their information through non-literate means. They listen to the radio. They look on the Internet. They watch TV, and they don't read. In fact, 60% of all college graduates never read another book after they graduate. It's kind of amazing to find that out, but people don't read. And he said, well, there's nobody doing it to help secondary oral learners. And so she began to take the, the principles of chronological Bible storying and to develop them into a ministry called chronological Bible teaching. She began to use this method to disciple. She was discipling groups of seminary wives at the time, and she said, I want to try something different. And she used it's a very Socratic approach where they would read the story of the Scripture, just read, for example, the story of the fall in Genesis 3. And then instead of teaching, she would ask questions that would mine the story of Scripture. So she would ask factual questions to get the story straight. She would ask um, question, inferential questions to say, so what do we learn about God in this story? What do we see about sin? What do we see about grace? She would ask connecting questions. Where have we seen this before in the story? And then she would ask application questions. Okay, so what is God showing us? How does this apply to our lives today? She began to do this, and she said, we're going to try it for six weeks. And at the end of six weeks, she said, girls, do you want to go the other way? And they said, no, no, no. And she began a ministry that became chronological Bible teaching that has trained and discipled literally thousands. There are women now that my wife has never met that are fourth-generation trainers. They've been training people with this methodology, and it gets people into the Bible. We began to read the chronological one-year Bible. She developed a framework to understand that one-year chronological Bible. She eventually created into a ministry that's on our website at chronologicalbibleteaching.com. Say that one more time. Make sure, get ready to write this down because you'll want to do it. Chronologicalbibleteaching.com. Correct. Okay. And in that, in that methodology, we began to train people. We began to train them with a simple framework to understand that the Bible is one big story. And once people began to put the Bible into that framework, the Bible comes alive. I had been teaching at seminary for 20 years, 15 years, and I began to read the chronological Bible. It changed my understanding of Scripture. Now, when I came to Christ, I've read through the Bible almost 50 times. But when I read it chronologically, God began to put pieces of the puzzle together that never made sense before. And for me as a professor, it became my preferred way to teach students, even teaching Old Testament survey. I would teach them this chronological framework, and my students would say, I get the story of the Old Testament. Why has no one ever said this before? Life-changing. I mean, for me as a professor... And watching people get the story of the Bible, watching people understand the story and began to grow in the story was amazing. It was, it's one of the best things I've ever been involved in. And in fact, we took what we were doing to Tyndale, and Tyndale actually invited us to create a one-year chronological study Bible that will have an introduction to each day's reading. The reading is still broken up into the same 365 units, so you can read about three chapters a day and read through the Bible in a year. But it will have a 150-word introduction that explains what you're going to read in that day and how it fits in the big story. And then it will have questions at the end of each day's reading, and it will have markers throughout the text that explain what are each of the eras of Scripture. For example, the creation era and the five stories in it, the patriarch era and the five stories in it. And 
All of this information is available on the web, and much of it is available for free. We do sell some materials, but our goal is to equip people in, in the Bible. We want them to know the Bible, and so we have tons of free resources that people can find on our web to equip them in knowing God's Word. And, Brother Bert, as if I could say what's most important to me about this is that if I could go back to Zimbabwe and do anything again, I would do this. I would train every person. We went to uh, Nicaragua, and we were invited to train. And we went into a village, a remote village in northern Nicaragua, and we were invited to train pastors, not most of them, very little education. We trained them in the Old Testament story. We showed them the ten errors. We drilled in deep. They learned it. We came back the next year to teach the New Testament errors. And we said, now we want you to tell us what you learned if you remember it. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to bring our people in that didn't get to come, and they're going to tell you what we learned. <laughs> and these pastors brought in women and men who got up, some of them totally non-literates, and they told the story of the Old Testament with such clarity that we were weeping because they got the story of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it has changed them. And one man asked me when we finished the first year, he said, may I have one of the, the – uh, we have poster size – and he said, we said, certainly. And he took it. He traveled around churches almost every week, training other churches and to learn the story of the Bible because he said it so changed his life. It makes sense that way. The first time I, te- I shared with you earlier that the first time I went through a, um, something similar to this, walked through the Bible, it's walked through the Old right. Testament, and I was looking at it chronologically and putting all the pieces together. It, it makes the whole make sense. Yes. Until then, it's like a piecemeal. You know, w- when did this happen? On the other program that I do, Exploring the Word, a lot of the questions, when did this take place? When, and, and, and in studying the Bible, knowing when it takes place, what kind of literature it is in the area makes a lot of difference in how you can uh, look at it and know it. It's called context. Amen. So the chronological context has a lot. Was this in the 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 one kingdom or was it the divided kingdom? Exactly. Uh, you know, did this happen during the time of the patriarchs or did this happen during the time you know of uh, of when they were in captivity? The whole idea is chronological. It really, I, I think we whether people like history or not. You hear people saying they they don't like history. They really do. They just haven't liked the way people presented it sometimes. Amen. Because history is is his story, isn't it? Absolutely. In fact, uh, just to give you two reasons why it's so important, my associate pastor learned this method and was teaching it. And he became burdened because he was teaching at the Baptist Student Union at the college where he teaches and uh, a junior college, and he was at the BSU, and he mentioned Saul. And they said, now, is this the one who later became Paul? He was talking about King, King Saul. Saul. Yeah. And to think that Baptist students who'd grown up in church all their life didn't have any context burdened him. And so every, every fall at that BSU, he trains the students in the chronological method to give them that framework. I watch this, but I also watch my wife explain this. My wife, Iva, created this this approach and has taught it so often. But she said, she said, the Bible, if we're not careful, the Bible's like a puzzle. 
And what we do is we take out a piece that we really like, and we study that piece and this piece and this piece, but we don't have the framework, the straight edges and the corners, and we don't have the picture of what's really going on. And so we love a book, and we love a few verses, but we don't know the Bible story. And it's easy to take it out of context when you do that. And, and a lot of the name it and claim it and health and wealth is based on, on that very concept of that piece. I, I look at it like it's skeleton. Yeah, and, and all of this, these 14 eras are, are skeletons, and you put the muscle and the skin Absolutely. to it and the sinew, and all of a sudden you have the complete body. Without it, you only have part of it. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul said about the church. Uh, if, if I say I have no need of the hand, you know, we do need. We need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is, man, the New Testament by itself is awesome, but when you know the Old Testament and you fit that in to see where it is, I mean, you'd have a hard time reading Hebrews and Jude without the Old Testament. Absolutely. And and so the chronological, I'm excited about this as well, as anything that gets people to end the Word and, and then being able to know the Word the way it's given by God through the power of the Holy Spirit, it'll change lives, won't it? Watching, just watching this story, I'll give you one story from me. Uh, I, four years ago, I taught a group of men, uh, not that, not from my church, just men from Memphis, and I had about 35 men who stayed constant. And every week, we taught them what was going on in that week's reading. We challenged them to read through the Bible. Every week, we taught them uh, to uh, what was going on in that week's reading, and then we went through one of the discipleship stories. So Abraham, Isaac, looking at Joseph— mining the story, just letting them do the questions. One of my men came to me later and he said, I, he said, I think I got the email by accident. He said, I didn't, he said, I never went to the same church twice growing up. He said, never went to church. He said, but I came. He said, it was intriguing. He came to know the Lord. I baptized him. He was a pilot. He's an amazing brother. Now he's one of our faithful servants in our church. It's, it just, God transformed his life, and he probably knows the story better than a lot of people who grew up in church their whole life because he's read through the Bible now several times. He's, he now teaches the chronological 14 eras to other men. He's training people. He pours his life into people. He's an incredible brother. Watching how this story impacts the lives of people is such a phenomenal thing. I use it as well when I teach at Blue Mountain. I want everybody that's going to go to the mission field to know this story, because if I could go back, this is the one thing I would do. I would teach everybody this framework. I would teach them the story, and they would know God's story and their place in it. And you can find more information about this, chronologicalbibleteaching.com. Speaking of Blue Mountain, is these last about five minutes that we have, at Blue Mountain College, and you're teaching these students, are you excited about the generation that's coming up? I, I mean... I I love the energy. I get I'm interim pastor at churches, you know, and I would say the older high school and a lot of those that are young adults, especially college age kids, and I get to spend some time with them. I I'm excited about where they are and where they're going. I know people are saying, "Oh no, oh no." I think the older generation has said that about every younger generation. <laughs> but I, I find some energy and some excitement there. Oh. Blue Mountain is such an incredible place to teach. The distinctly Christian atmosphere from the president down, a president who cares about the souls of students, who 
prays for the students, who shares the gospel when she speaks in chapel, a Bible department second to none, men who love God's word. I have the privilege of teaching with incredible men. They're, they're, uh, I could mention all the, Dr. Meeks, Dr. Mims, and Dr. Majors, and with me, Dr. May, we're the, we're the M team, but uh, <laughs> that's what they call us. But to the joy of teaching with these men who open God's word, who love God's word, who want to teach God's word, student and who pray for students. I have prayed with them time and again when they have wept over the souls of students. It's a it's just a precious place to be and to watch students come in with a passion. To have students say, What we did this last weekend was first Monday at Ripley. First Ripley, Monday Mississippi, Mississippi right. Yeah. And, Trade day. Right. And it's a it's a big uh, big flea market in North yeah. Mississippi. And they would go there and share the gospel, and they would sh- they recorded about 160 gospel conversations by students. This is the passion that they have to share their faith with others. It's a great school, and, and watching them at want to be trained, coming and learning, learning hard things like studying the various world religions. I teach world religions, studying strategies, studying intercultural communication, learning how, how would it be to learn another language. To prepare for mission service, it blesses my heart. And to watch these students have this passion and to be excited about how it's going to impact their lives and, and to thank me, I, there's nothing like it. Now, what happens if you go there and you're looking at elementary ed or majoring in business? You still get to take a New Testament survey. And it uh, talking to the one professor that does that a lot says, we get the gospel in there because we do have students that come. They come for convenience sake because it's local or whatever. But it gives them a, a, a biblical, the basis of a biblical worldview. Correct. So it has advantages that way so that the people that come in education or business, in place of them going out with just secularized thoughts because of the Bible content that they get to take, it gives them the opportunity and the desire to have a biblical worldview. It, not only that, so in my, for example, in one of my classes, one of the assignments is students have to interview a student from another culture. They all did that this term, and one of them had the joy of sharing with a student, a foreign student, the gospel, and she prayed to receive Christ. And so this is this is what we're really all about. The, as you have talked about, I've heard you say, the world has come to us. We're not, we don't have to go to the world. Now, we, we do have to go to the world. But we don't have to go far to find the world anymore. At Blue Mountain College, there are students from several different com- countries. Uh, they're playing sports. and But God has brought them there because God loves them and wants them to hear his gospel. And while they might never heard it, hear it in their country, and they admit their countries are secular, on Blue Mountain's campus, they tell us that they're hearing the gospel. When you talk about that, God has always, from from the very beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation— is missional. Even the geography, where he placed these special people at the crossroads of three continents, Amen. that's where he put them to be a witness. Amen. We need to be a witness, don't we? Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Dr. May, thank you for being with us. These two programs, and it's been a joy to talk with you, but let me remind you, you can go and find out about Chronological Bible Teaching Ministries. It's Chronological Bible Teaching dot com chronological bible teaching dot com pastor of emmanuel baptist church in olive branch in that area and a professor at blue mountain college wow 
You busy man. <laughs> Thank you for taking time out to be with us. Thank you, sir. The joy is mine. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions. We're praying that God would use you on mission for Him.